All right, Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to read, um, we're going to stop only at verse 30, but we're going to read a few verses um, throughout that chapter. It's a very famous passage, Ezekiel 22, and we're going to read a couple of more passages throughout um, sharing today. So we're going to read from verse uh, 23, but we're really going to stop only at verse 30 and 31, okay? So Ezekiel 22, uh, 33, um, 23. Here is what the Lord told Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, that's Israel or the land of Israel, you are a land that it is not cleansed, nor rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets, actually the word prophets here is more, most likely princes, not prophets. Um, some translations has prophets, but it's more accurately to be princes. Um, the conspiracy of her princes in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasures and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her princes, again, in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, saying false visions and divining lies to them, for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppressed strangers. Verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. And here's the scariest word, the very first word in verse 31. Therefore, because I found no one, therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensated their deeds on their own head, saith the Lord God. So, um, as you guys can see from the text that we just read, the background is, there is sin in the nation of Israel. And there is no one in that nation cares enough about the things of God. And God goes through pretty much every category of the people, leadership and even the common people. That the, the princes, they care about their own selfish deed. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests who are supposed to serve the holy things don't make a distinguish between the holy and the unholy. And even the common people are oppressing everybody around them. Not just the leadership, but even the average people are just oppressing everyone around them and wrongfully oppressing the stranger. And God is a holy God, and He is not tolerating their sins anymore. But He's a merciful God in the same time, and He doesn't want to destroy them. He doesn't want to pour out His judgment on them. 
So he is looking for a man. That's why he said here in verse 30, I'm just looking for one man. It doesn't matter if he's a priest or a prophet or a prince or even an average person in the congregation of Israel. Just one man who will stand in the gap and cry out to me and seek my mercy and my grace so I don't destroy them because I'm about you. But sadly, in the days of Ezekiel, God found no one. God found no one who cares about the things of God, who will stand in the gap and say, God, have mercy, instead of pouring out judgment, pour out grace. And then verse 31, God said, Therefore I have poured out my indignation. I have poured out my indignation. When God found no one in the days of Ezekiel, the result is God poured out his wrath and he destroyed the children of Israel. Now, I have to tell you that since the days of Ezekiel, I don't think much has changed. If you look at our current time right now, look at our nation. You have sin everywhere. You have millions and millions of people who need to hear the gospel. Homosexuality, immorality, atheism, Islam, Hinduism, you name it. Every false and cult and every demonic religion in the world is just flourishing around us. And in the church, God is just looking for a person, one person who would just stand in the gap before God. So God doesn't have to destroy this nation or pour out his wrath on the sin that people are committing. But for the most part, just as in the days of Ezekiel, God is not finding anyone. You look, a lot of pastors, a lot of senior pastors don't think that evangelizing the lost or praying for the lost is really their job. They think, you know what? My calling is to equip the saints so they can evangelize. And the saints think that as long as we pay the pastor, he should evangelize. And at the end of the day, neither the pastor nor the saints are evangelizing. Everybody just so consumed in our own inward bubble. You look at our, even church planter, church planter, like When Paul would plant a church, he would go somewhere where Jesus was never proclaimed, get some people saved, and start a church. This is how how the Bible, we see church planting. But nowadays, church planting is, you get some Christian from a a local church, and you take them uh, some other places, and that's how you plant a church. Okay, you don't get anybody saved. You just get Christian from different places. And pretty much, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like you're waiting for a pastor of a nearby church to fall in sin or immorality, and then the church split and have these people come and visit you or join you, and this is how your church can grow for the most part. And we start taking this mentality of let's not evangelize and be so centered, so self-focused, and we're taking that overseas. Even our missions ideology, you see somebody who's saying, oh, I'm, I'm called to be a missionary. Okay, great. How are you going to do missions? You're going to go somewhere where Jesus never been proclaimed and you're going to tell them about Jesus? It's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to go to a nation and try to work with local believers and I'm going to equip them so they can go out and share the gospel. Well, everybody is equipping everybody in the church nowadays. And nobody is actually doing the dirty work, the prayer, the intercessory prayer, and going out to the streets and telling people about Jesus. And in the midst of all of this, God is saying, sin is prominent. I am holy. I am going to judge sin. And I'm just looking for one man who will just stand in the gap in front of me on behalf of the people and cry out so I don't have to pour out my judgment. But as in the days of Ezekiel, God did not find anybody. I'm not sure if he can find anybody today. 
In our church, in the 21st century American church, if he will find anybody who will stand in the gap and build that wall and cry out to God so he will not destroy the people. Now, this is a little bit scary, but think about this. Why did God pour out his judgment in the day of Ezekiel? Why? Is it because people sinned? Correct. People sinned, and that's why they got judged. But from that text, people sinning was not the primary reason why God poured out his judgment. You know what was the primary reason? Anybody can realize that from the text? Nobody stood in the gap. It is not that people sinned, even though, yes, this is the reason. But the reason why God judged people is that nobody wanted to stand in the gap before God. And that's a little bit scary for me, you know, because I know that people outside these doors, the doors of the church, sinned against God. And God is a holy God, and he will go to judge sin. But at the same time, I know that it's my responsibility to cry out to God. And in a way, God put me in charge of their eternity. If I stand in the gap, and if I cry out to God, if I pray and seek his face, he will have mercy on them. And if I slack... And if I try to be more self-centered, guess what? He will pour out his judgment on them. And it's my responsibility. Just as in the days of Ezekiel, God was looking for a man. And the exact same God today is still looking for one man. He's not asking for a million. He's not asking for, you know, all of us to get in one accord. He's just looking for one. One person. He say, God, it's me. I, I want to stand in the gap today and from today forward. And I want to cry out to you that you will just spare the people, and don't pour out your wrath. Today, I just want to highlight three examples in the Bible, three examples of three people who actually did stand in the gap before God and actually did turn away his wrath. And it's just amazing when we read their stories, okay? So three people. Anybody can help me here. Do you recall anybody in the Bible? Just a pop quiz. Anybody in the Bible who stood in the gap before God and actually did turn away his wrath? Anybody can help Moses, that's number one. Good. Isaiah. Who? Isaiah. Isaiah. I'm, I'm not familiar with, but... Um, Had the voice of the Lord. Correct. Isaiah served God. Correct. I'm looking for more like Moses. We know there is an, an incident where he actually prayed and turned out God's wrath. Like, stop the wrath. Literally. So I'm looking for more incidents like this. Moses is definitely number one. I, I, there is many. Abraham. Who? Abraham. Abraham, he slacked. With Sodom and Gomorrah, he quit. And that's why God judged him. <laughs> Who? David, correct. He did that when he offered the sacrifice. Good, good one. Correct. I'm going to highlight three. There is probably more. I can think of more than the three, but I'm just going to highlight these three. Who? John. John, not, I mean, he probably prayed for the loss, but I don't think it's recorded where in the Bible. John the Baptist. Probably he did, yeah. So the three, yes. Daniel, correct. Daniel cried out to God and Samuel cried out to God. They interceded. Definitely Daniel and Samuel. The Bible said that. The three I'm going to highlight to you today is Moses, definitely, and then Aaron, his brother, and then Amos, the prophet. Okay, these three. There is more, but we're just going to highlight these three. Moses. Moses actually prayed twice, turned out God's wrath twice on behalf of the children of Israel. I did not know that till yesterday. I was always confused about it. It's because it's a couple of times in the Bible, and I was thinking it's the same incidence, but it is not. Twice he prayed and fasted 40 days and 40 nights to turn away God's judgment on, on behalf of the people of Israel. The first time when he was up in the mountain 
receiving the, the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments from God. And when he came down, people were sinning, worshiping the golden calf. And that's the first time he actually went back and cried out again to God for 40 days and 40 nights. So he just finished 40 days and 40 nights fasting, goes down, see the people sinning, goes up again and pray and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Number two, right back to back. So God will not destroy the people. And that's in Exodus 32. We're going to read that in a minute. And the second incidence when the children of Israel were about to enter the land of Canaan and then the spies came back with the report. Ten said, we can't do it. And two said, we can't do it. And the people rebelled, say, we're not going to go in. And that's when God was about to destroy his people, but Moses cried out to God for another 40 days and 40 nights. That will be in Numbers chapter 14. And he recalled these two incidents back to back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 9. So if you go to Deuteronomy 9, you're going to see these two incidents back to back. But let's read these two incidents because they are just amazing. Let's start with Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, once again, that's Moses was up in the mountain and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. He goes down and he sees that the children of Israel have already sinned against God. They already made a golden calf and they're already worshiping. Let's read from verse 9. Actually, let's read from verse 7. So Exodus 32 verse 7. Here is what the Lord told Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Do you see how God is distancing himself from the people? He always said, this is my people, this is my nation. But now that they sin, God is saying to Moses, I don't even know them. These are your people that you brought out. Who brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt? It's, it's the Lord. But see what God is saying here? I didn't. You did it. I, uh, they're sinners. I don't want to deal with them. Go for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses at that point was already on the mountain almost for 40 days and 40 nights. Just finished 40 days and 40 nights of fasting to receive the Ten Commandments. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone. Look at that. Let me alone. Leave me alone. That, I, that, that my wrath might turn hot against them, and I might consume them, and I will make you of a great nation. Now, I'm from the Middle East, okay? And that's where the Bible was written. So let me give you some cultural perspective on when God says, let me alone, what does that mean? In Egypt, if you get in a car accident, we, people are more passionate, I would say, than rational. So let's say a car accident. Before you even figure out whose fault it is or whatever, try to figure it out, all of a sudden, the two drivers jump out of the car and they start beating on one another. It doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong. It doesn't matter what happened. Fight immediately breaks out. And then the bypassers will come and they try to like intervene between the two people who are fighting and try to separate them from one another, you know. Um, so they try to push one driver one way and the other the other way and try to separate and break the fight. And each one of these two people would cry out and say, just leave, telling the people who's holding them, restraining them, just leave me alone, man. I want to go and beat this guy up because he have wrapped my car. 
And everyone say, Lee, just leave me alone. I want to go beat him up. And they're just angry toward the other person. And there is a, a, somebody in the middle holding that person so hard from going and fighting and beating up the other person. And in a way, this is the picture that comes to mind when God is talking to Moses here. God is so angry. His anger is hot against the nation of Israel because they have sinned against him and they're worshiping a false god. And God is about to devour them. And Moses is holding God back and saying, God, just, just stop. Wait, don't do it right now. Hold off. Don't destroy the nation of Israel. And God says, just leave me alone, man. I want to go and destroy them. And Moses says, no, God, don't do it. Let me alone, God said. Because I want to destroy them. Verse 11. Then Moses, look at this. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? See what he's doing here. God, remember, I know they sinned, but they're still your people. Um, And Moses pleaded, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you sworn by your own self, and say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all the land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So what Moses is saying here is like, God, you want to destroy them, destroy them. Guess what? They deserve to be destroyed. But God, how about your name? How about your fame? How about when you destroy them, then the Gentiles, the Egyptians, and everybody who doesn't know you will think that you're not a good God? How are going to happen to your name then? So spare them, but not because they deserve it, but because your name deserve it. And he cried out to God and he bled with God for 40 days and 40 nights that he will spare the nation of Israel. Verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm he said he would do to the children of Israel, to his people. The the Lord changed his mind because Moses stood in the gap and he said, God, don't do it. And God listened to Moses. Let's read another story that's in, in Numbers 14. The second time Moses intervened on behalf of the children of Israel. Numbers 14, verse 11. Now the children of Israel in that context just refused to enter the the land of Canaan. So listen now to the conversation between God and between Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long Will these people reject me? And how long will they not be, believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. If Moses would have not stood before God, there would have been nothing called the nation of Israel. There would be a nation of Moses. But now we have the nation of Israel because one man stood in the gap before God when he was about to destroy the nation of Israel. Verse 13. And Moses said to the Lord, 
Okay, God, do it. But guess what? Then the Egyptian, once again, he's telling God, your name, your fame, your glory, don't, don't let that be destroyed. Then the Egyptians will hear it. From by your might you brought these people, for by your might you brought these people um, up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in the pillar of the cloud by day and in the pillar of fire by now. By night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations will have heard, which will ha- which have heard of it, which have heard of your fame, will speak, saying, "Because the Lord was not able to bring His people to the land which He sworn to give them, therefore He killed them in the wilderness." And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, on the children to the third and fourth generation. Here is his cry. Pardon the iniquity of these people, I pray. According to, great, to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven these people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to my word. No, according to your word. Do you see this? God is telling Moses, I'm going to do according to what you say. As usually we still, God, God, I'll do whatever you tell me. Now God is telling Moses, I'll do whatever you told me. I will pardon according to your word. Moses stood in the gap before God twice. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we read that every time he would fast 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I tried to fast one, skip a meal this week. I was painful, man. 40 days and 40 nights. And he will not let go. God is angry against his people because they sinned against him. And he said, God, don't do it for them. Just do it for your name. How about us? We have all these people around us, millions of people and just an hour drive from here, and you have 8 million people living, and they don't know God. They're sinning, and they're going to die. They're provoking God's wrath every single day, and they're going to be destroyed, even though God already did a magnificent and awesome salvation for them on the cross, and he shed the blood of his own son so they can be saved. Now, our God is just, you know, generally, you don't know if you're... uh, not a church goer, you don't know anything about religion, you think all religions are the same. The God of Christians is just as good as Allah, the God of Muslims. Why are we not jealous for the name of our God? Why we don't cry out to him that he will make his name far higher above every name of every false God is ever trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. Moses was jealous for the sake of the glory of God and he was terrified of the wrath that his God is about to to pour out in his people. And he stood in the gap before God. He will not let go till God spare his people. Listen to that verse in Psalm 106.23. This is what the psalmist here said about that situation. Therefore God said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, look at the wording, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. God was going to destroy them. This is what the psalmist said, Psalm 106. Had not 
Moses, his chosen one, stood in the preach, in the gap. Had not Moses stood up, they would have been gone. Can the Holy Spirit ever say this about you and me? That God is so angry with the people around us because they broke his law, they broke his heart, and he's a holy God, he cannot tolerate sin. And he's about to pour out his judgment one day. Had not Cammy or Brother Wayne or Franconia community stood in the gap. Had not we preached, had not we prayed, had not we interceded, people would have perished. Just remember in Ezekiel, when God did not find a man who will stand in the gap, God poured out his wrath. But in the incidents of Moses, when God found one man, he said, okay, I'm not going to do it. Let's read another example, and that's the Aaron, Moses' brother. We're going to flip a couple of more chapters in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. So the context here, there is a guy named Korah, who was a Levite, a priest. And he was arrogant. He wanted to have some sort of leadership. And he started rebelling against Moses and against Aaron. He said, who made you leaders over the people of God? And he started uh, alluring some people to follow him. So Moses said, you know what? Tomorrow God will show who is the true leader. Next day, Moses said, if you believe Korah is the leader, go stand by him. If you believe I'm the leader, come stand by me. The camps got divided. And then Moses said, if I am the leader that God has appointed, let the earth open its mouth and swallow them. And guess what? The, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed Korah and all his followers. And now this is the context we're going to read in Numbers 16, verse 41. On the next day, right after Korah died, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of God. You have killed Korah and his Levite friends. You have killed the people of God. Now God could not take that no more at this point. So verse 42. Now it happened. When the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron. That they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting. And suddenly the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Get out from among them, from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. God just got hot on them. And they fell, Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces. And then Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. That's the altar of burning. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it at Moses' commandment and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague has begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And listen to verse uh, 48. Amazing. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. He stood between the, the living and the dead, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died with the plague was 14,700 beside those who died in the Korah's incidents. 14,000 some hundred people died. But look at this picture. Look at this picture. Aaron the high priest has a censer in his hand and has incense in it. And he's standing between the living and between the dead. 
and when urn stood between the two camps, the living and the dead, the plague has stopped. And I want to tell you, friends, when on that day, God did not see one man with some smoke coming out of his censer standing between two groups of people. He saw the 21st century, the New Testament church, standing on behalf of those who are about to die, whom the plague is about to consume, and they cry out to God that he will spare them. And just as in that day when Moses stood in that gap, the plague stopped. If we are to stand in the gap before God and cry out for those who are about to die because they have sinned against God, the same God who spared them on that day because of Aaron, he will spare them today if we cry out to him. 14,000 and some hundred people died. Let me ask you a question. If Aaron would have been delayed for any other reason, for some reason, you know, whatever, do you think more people would have died? Yes. And if he would have gotten there early, do you think less people would have died? Same thing with us. If we're going to start praying, less people will die. And less people will go to hell. And more people will know God. And if we slack... If we think, you know what, oh, well, there's another message, let's just worry about it for another day. Guess what? More people will die and more people will perish. God is serious. He looked in the days of Ezekiel for a man who will stand in the gap. And when he did not find anyone, he destroyed them. And in our two incidents so far, when he found somebody, he did spare his people. Let me read the last example for you from the book of Amos. That will be... The third minor prophet in the Old Testament. Just going to read a couple of quick verses. So, book of Amos, that will be Hosea, Jewel, Amos. We're going to read from verse, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Amos 2, 1 to 7. Another Man of God who stood in the gap. Amos 2, 1-7. Here is what the Lord says. For three, um, 1-6, I apologize. 1-6. For these transgressions of Moab and for four will not turn away. Let me see here. All right. Let's just, um, yeah, read from that verse. I will not turn away its punishment because he burned the bones of the, kings, uh, the king of Adam of two lime. But I will, stand by, I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour it, the places of Kiroth. Moab shall die in the turmoil which shouting and trumpet sound. And I will cut off the judge from the midst and uh, slay all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah. God is saying, I'm going to judge Moab and I'm going to destroy Moab. Now he's moving on to Judah. For three transgressions. I'm sorry, this is, well, Amos chapter 7. Sorry about that. I'm like, this is not what I want. 7, 1 to 6. All right. Amos 7, 1 to 6. Um, Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locusts. Locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop at the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said. Now God sent his judgment, locusts that is just devouring the crop and everything is getting dead. Now, 
when Amos said that in verse 2, and when it was, when they had finished the, the, the locust eating the grass of the land, that I said, Oh Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. When Amos saw the destruction and saw the locusts consuming the land, he just cried out to God and said, just forgive them, I pray, that Jacob may stand for he is small. Verse 3, so the Lord relented concerning this. The Lord changed his mind concerning this. And he said, it shall not be, says the Lord. Verse 4. That's the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. When Amos saw the destruction, he said, Oh, Lord God, sees I pray, oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this, and he said, This also shall not be, says the Lord God. When Amos saw the destruction that is about to devour Judah and Jacob, he cried out to God and said, God, just relent, pray, forgive. Jacob is too little. He will die because of this, even though they deserve it. And twice, twice, the Lord heard Amos and turned away his wrath. You guys remember the very, very, very first time I came here in Sherd. It was about... God's broken heart for the lost. How he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And this is our God. God is not a God who enjoys destroying sinners. He's not this way. He's a holy God. And he cannot tolerate sin. But it's not his pleasure that people will die. But he's just looking to partner with us. That we will just stand in the gap on their behalf. So he can, in a way, find an excuse not to destroy them. He's just trying to find an excuse. So he will not destroy the people. Will you be that man today? Will you be this woman today? Let's all close our eyes and we're going to pray for a few minutes. God is looking for one man who will stand 